What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Brown Meets World. With it's Brown Meets World. Your boy meets world fan cast. This is our holiday homework episode. I'm Siege. And I am Tony Curtis. Hey, welcome. Like I said, this is our holiday homework episode. You guys know uh, this year has been a year. And there were lots of things that happened, um, lots of things that we couldn't cover for various First of all, reasons. Hold on, hold on, Siege. Before we just jump right in, yeah, we're releasing this Christmas morning. Yes. Uh, do you have any holiday traditions that you do with uh, with the fam that you can throw out there? You know, honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I don't. My whole thing has if if I had a holiday tradition, it would be going to the movies. Um, okay. This is being released. Uh, on Christmas Day, and so by the time this comes out, I will be in a theater watching The Color Purple because uh, I got my tickets ahead of time. Um, but yeah, like that's my only thing, like going to a movie theater. Christmas was never really big in my house, uh, especially after we hit like a certain age. Sure, sure, um, sure. So, and then my husband's parents are older, so yeah, Christmas isn't isn't like the crazy holiday. But I know somebody's birthday is around this time yeah you have any plans it's a very busy time of the year um christmas uh is something my uh family always went all out for my mom still gives me gifts from santa i Um, love it you know we also as a family would go to the movies on christmas day but my the tradition i probably have had the longest is i always watch it's a wonderful life on christmas eve um it's it's like what i would be sent to my room to go do while my mom was like preparing <laughs> as Santa. So I would get like, uh, you know, pajamas and like a snack and I'd go fall asleep watching It's a Wonderful Life. So that's probably my longest ongoing tradition. And then my my birthday's the next day. So, um, you know, I, I always try to do something. Um, typically, a lot of people are traveling or broke as fuck because it's the day after <laughs> Christmas. So sometimes I have to kind of like schedule celebrations around it. But um, yeah, you know, I always try to do something. I, I don't really know what I'm doing this year. I know that I'm going away, but I don't really know all the details yet. So, okay. Um, yeah, Mystery yeah. birthday. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, confession, I have never seen It's a Wonderful Life. Ever. Really? You I know don't what? like I I don't even honestly know what the premise is. I have ideas based on pop culture, but I've yeah. never seen that movie. <laughs> I, I never grew up watching It's a Wonderful Life. It's a it's an old black and white movie. I grew up watching Santa Claus and Home Alone and you know, like those 90s movies. Exactly. Um, but in high school, uh Blockbuster had basically like a Netflix pass that you can get where you could like watch as many movies as you want over the summer so i took it upon myself to watch the afi top of course movies everyone who's into it does it (laughs) at least once and so you know eventually i came across it's a wonderful life and i loved it so much it's a it's a story about a man who's going to unalive himself on christmas eve and very festive his guardian (laughs) angel is watching this and is reflecting back on his life that led up to this moment and you see all the sacrifices he made for everyone else without ever pursuing his own dreams and you know how he uh positively affected affected all the people around him even though he never got to see his dreams come to reality and you know it 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 just talks about like building community and the importance of it around the holidays and how when you're at your lowest it's the people who you've you know been there for who can show up for you in a positive way so it's it's always been a, a 
a holiday classic for me. For those of you who are not watching, you can't see uh, Tony's dog. It is yeah. very much <laughs> demanding <laughs> to be included in this moment. <laughs> I started talking about community and Charlie just immediately just started coming up next to me. But uh, uh, I love it. I, I love that. I love. Uh, I will have to check that out. I will. I'm. I'm going to like put it on my agenda. Um, but since we were talking about movies and we're talking mm. about fun and festive and, and chaos, let's remember the spirit of this episode, which so, is our top selects for homework. Um, yeah. Absolutely. This episode came about from the fact that, uh, you know, there was about a six month period, maybe, where we just weren't talking about movies or television because of the strike. Obviously, y'all know, if you've been paying attention, we took a little bit of a hiatus from our Boy Meets World conversations. And there was just a lot of things that came out during that time that we get, didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, and also, I think it was just a fun idea. You know, we've been doing our mixtapes and things like that of like our best ofs. And I was like, you know what, let's wrap up 2020 and talk about the highlights absolutely um and don't worry we will be back in the new year with season seven um but we just we want to have some fun and before we do that uh we're going to do our very uh common reminders uh to if you're listening to this on youtube hit that subscribe button if you're listening to this on your phone hit that follow button if you would like to listen to more of us talking and rambling about chairs and suicidal christmas movies uh <laughs> follow our patreon <laughs> please but, but um now uh i think it's best that we just kind of get into the list absolutely okay tony let's move on to our homework what do you have for your homework we're gonna do top five which, yes. Like, I'm not going to lie. At first, I had so many selects, but when we decided to just keep it the top five of everything, made it a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and you know what? Yeah, yeah go ahead. I, when I was making my list, I was like, you know what? I think I have probably talked about a few things on my list before. They're not all things that were uh, pushed aside during the strike. Right. Um, but they're still just like, as I reflect on 2023, these are probably the things I'm going to return back to yes. uh, more often than the other things. So that's that's where I got uh, into the headspace of. And if I could start off the list. Yeah, go for it. Um, I'm going to start by talking about the TV show Jury Duty. I love that it's on your list. <laughs> jury duty i just thought to be such a pleasant surprise yes i didn't really know what to go into i think maybe even you talked to me about that show before i started watching it and as i just watched every episode i just couldn't help but to smile at just the the pure joy that i was getting from watching it um for those of you who don't know uh jury duty is an entirely improv show where one man thinks he's actually serving jury duty but everyone else is an actor including famed actor James Marsden and uh, they just kind of played pranks on him I guess throughout his uh jury duty time and I just the way he handles each situation the way the case unfolds yep. and how it gets more and more unhinged and he just is such a good sport about it yep. it was just a really it was a pleasure to watch and I think that in a time where we're constantly getting repeated IPs, where we're constantly just seeing storylines redone to death, it was nice to just see something original. And I just thought that was, it was, it was noteworthy and something that I would return back to on like a sick day. You know, it seems like a great sick day a rewatch. Jury Duty was so much fun. Uh, the main guy, Ron, it's like, to me, the real thing about that show 
was amazing is that they found someone who is just so genuinely good hearted and kind and like but also they would put him in like moral dilemmas and you know he would figure a way out of it you could tell production would be like oh we just knew we cornered him and he would have to make like he'd have to make a decision and he somehow found a way out of it. And like, I just thought it was like really cool. I was like, till this really day, <laughs> the bouncing on the bed scene still makes me laugh. <laughs> there's there's so much about this show that I was like, wow, I couldn't even imagine what I would do if I were in his situation. Exactly. I, I'm sure I would be way more uh, explicit in my responses than he was probably. So <laughs> I have very mixed feelings about the success of this because uh, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of, I think it's nominated for some things. It's It's been really good uh, television. It took everyone by surprise. It worked out really well, but also it's kind of a real life Truman show. Sure. And I was like, I don't want this to become the norm because we all can agree that the Truman show is bad. It's a warning sign. So if we start microdosing the Truman show, it's not long <laughs> before we just have someone whose entire life is actors. And yeah, like you could tell that this guy uh absolutely needed therapy after and trust issues because everyone he spoke to for like six weeks was an actor or paid in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> but it is good television. I'm not gonna He's lie. gonna spend the rest of his life questioning everything. It's a, what the hell sure. to live in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh the least he could get out of it is a James Marsden friendship. Um okay. My number five is actually uh, another original piece. Um we were very fortunate enough to meet the writer of this uh show is the bear um the bear is um i think it's on fx originally but it's you can find it on hulu it is such great television um this is season two came out this year season one was a phenomenal show i believe i spoke about it originally season two came out and it was able to live up to the hype it was able to take us to even more depth with the characters um and yeah i just honestly i really really enjoyed the show there are two episodes that were um i don't know like i can't say showstoppers but they stuck with everyone okay um have you did you see it at all do you know what i'm talking about okay so i I was gonna wait (laughs) but this is been on my homework list for the longest ah, time. I have not okay. gotten around to watch The Bear yet. I've heard nothing but great things, mostly because, and I think I've mentioned this to you, that watching the pilot gave me PTSD from being a yes. server. Yes. And I just was, I've never been excited to jump back into that anxiety boat again. Even despite all the rave reviews, I know it's a pill I just need to swallow that it'll be good once I get there, but it's been it's been hard to jump in. Like really good television, like, I don't know. I want to be affected by TV. Yeah. Um, that I mean, like that's what our entire podcast is about. Boy Meets Row was a TV show that affected us and that really made us think about what we were doing in our own lives and shaping like the type of people we want it to be. Sure. And The Bear is that show. And it really does hit you. Like if you have any history in the food industry, if you have any history with like a very complicated family it's you're you're gonna feel some things and i'm like take your time with it but if you love good television 
it is a phenomenal show. And the two episodes I'm talking about is in season two, episode six, Fishes, which is basically a Christmas dinner episode. Okay. But where there's Christmas, where there's dinner, where there's family, there is drama. And this show, you're there. You're at the dinner table. You feel everything that happens. And it is such a amazing show that they were able to pull this episode off but then right after that episode there's a the episode forks and it builds off of the previous episode so perfectly like with all the chaos with all of the things that you learn in episode six in episode seven you get to see like the seeds actually bloom for a very specific character and it just totally 180s and you feel differently about the show. You feel differently about a specific character. It's just really good writing. And yeah, I I personally, it's it's I'm so happy it's my top five uh, because it's actually really good. And then Jeremy Allen White is like the poster boy for Hot Boy Ugly. Like <laughs> Jeremy Allen White. Hey, is explain that guy. You Hot Boy Ugly. Jeremy Allen White is that guy where it's like you look at him and you're like, this shouldn't work, but something about you, it's the fry cook of it all. It's like any any girl will tell you, anyone who's ever worked at it, there's a fry cook who works at a restaurant and you're like, I know I shouldn't, but God damn it, am I interested? And Ooh. that's what Jeremy Allen White brings to the table. I know him best <laughs> because there are a series of memes going around online currently that are comparing him to Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, yes, and how yes. physically similar they are in their yeah. resemblance. And to think that he looks so much like Gene Wilder and is also being called a sex symbol is yeah. interesting to me. Again, I don't yeah. know him based off of his work. <laughs> I just know what Gene Wilder looks like. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, it also stars um Ayo Adibri. Oh, of Ad- course. Ad- yeah, Adibri. yeah. Sorry, Adibri. And um who was the star of one of my honorable mentions. Um and she's phenomenal. She's had a fantastic year. Yeah. Um so again, powerhouse performances, fantastic storytelling. If you haven't already, please check out the bear. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well What's see- your number four? You know what? I feel like that leads perfectly to my number four being Bottoms. Yay! Um, (laughs) Bottoms for sure came out during the strike. We weren't allowed to talk about it. Um, And I just have to say that this movie was so much fun. So much fun. If You know, I really had no understanding of what I was going into with this movie. I didn't realize how fantastical it was going to be in terms of just kind of creating its own world building rules um it's it's such a hyper high school experience in the way it's visually shown but everything is just at an extreme the way they talk about jocks the way they talk about nerds the way they talk about gays like everything is at such an uh uh, almost cartoonish extreme i can see this whole movie being animated and it's still working exactly the same because of those elements but i think it works so well it's what separates it from like heathers and mean girls which i feel like are probably the closest comparisons um but yeah, if, for those who don't know, Bottoms is uh, a story about two lesbian best friends who start a fight club in an attempt to lose their virginity to cheerleaders that they have a crush on. It is um, literally like an amalgamation of like all the things you've heard about high school movies. Yeah. It's like 
two best friends trying to lose their virginity, start a fight club, have mean girls. Like, it's like all of like, it just feels so like formulaic, but also completely original. And it shouldn't work in theory, but it works so well. It stars, uh, please tell me how to pronounce her name because I, I struggle with this. I, I'm saying as I do the best way I can. I know I should have done better research. I apologize. Ao Adabiri, Adabiri. <laughs> Ao, I'm just going to call her Ao. Forgive me if that's wrong. Um, she stars in the movie along with Rachel Sennett, who was in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, Rachel Sennett, I believe, also wrote uh, some of the movie as well. Um, their comedic chemistry is yes. incredible. I love them together. They did some YouTube shorts that are really, really funny if you can find them. Um, I think they were on Comedy Central, some of the shorts that they did. They were really good. And I just love um, the way they bounce back and forth with each other. Yes. I love um, LaShawn Lynch. Am I saying that? LaShawn Lynch, who plays the coach? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he is, also, is yeah. he is phenomenal in this movie, um, really producing a lot of great laughs. And really what I love about this movie the most is that though it's really extreme and metaphoric a lot, um, it's really a probably the most beautiful lesbian love story that I've seen in a modern comedy in terms of like treating these crushes with respect and, yeah. and at the same level that like heteronormative relationships are given without it being like i don't know sometimes i think of like what's that kristen stewart christmas movie about like introducing her gay girlfriend to like the i family. refuse to watch it i, re I have no like, idea it's all about <laughs> just like it's like well they're gay and they don't like you because you're gay it's just like the gayness was such like a character of the movie and a, a story point with like it being political talking points versus being based in actual lived experiences, which mm -hmm. is what this movie feels like. It feels like lived experiences. It feels like a girl who actually had a real crush on another girl. I don't know if either of them are gay, but it's written in such a way that I feel like is really respectful um, to the idea of, uh, you know, a girl who might have a crush on a straight friend or something like that. Like, I just feel like it, it, it gives those the same respect as, um, I don't know, some of the other great teen movies of like, even like the John Hughes era or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I just really loved the movie. I laughed a lot and I was just really charmed by the, the whole world that they were able to build. Absolutely. Like their world building was fantastic. It's completely surreal. There are things in the background that don't make sense, but you're having fun. So you don't care. Uh, even the supporting cast, the main guy, I think his name is Nicholas. Oh my God. The, the, the football also, players are yeah. hilarious. They're so fun. He also stars in Red, White, and Royal Blue, which was like really big this year. Um, he was really fun and he knew his character really well. Kaya Gerber, who is Sidney Crawford's daughter, was phenomenal and did such a great job. I was who not was she in the movie? I'm sorry. She is the really tall and pretty best friend of the uh popular girl. She's the straight one. Yes. Yes. So, I okay. mean, spoiler alert. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's straight and she is really good. Um, I like I'm not expecting her to be funny. This girl is gorgeous. She does not have to be funny if she didn't want mm -hmm. to be. Again, this is like the epitome of a Nepo baby. And yet sure. she brings the comedy. She understands how she should play comedy and she does it perfect. Her timing, perfect. And I was really impressed by the cast of this movie, the story 100%. of this movie. 
And this was like something where I left and I immediately was like, everyone has to go see it, please. <laughs> also, the way this movie ends, the climax of this movie is so wild, is so out of control. Ridiculous. <laughs> but also like incredibly satisfying and fun. So yeah, yeah. I, I think this is just one of those movies that, like I said, of 2023, I'm I'm gonna return back to this one for sure. Absolutely. Um, so you had something so much fun uh in, in yours. I took such a pivot for my number four because we got season four uh and the finale of succession mm-hmm. and my number four is succession um this finale first of all this show was so great it was such a powerhouse it was one of those shows that got everyone back to uh water cooler talk like communal watching monolith culture shall we say like Everyone I know was watching Succession. Everyone was invested. You wanted to know what would happen, who would inherit the throne. This was a modern day Game of Thrones storytelling with just as corrupt and terrible people. Great social commentary, amazing acting by the entire cast. And um, the final episode itself makes the entire series worth watching again and again. Very few shows are able to give you a finale um, that will make you want to rewatch the entire series, but I definitely feel like Succession was able to tell a story that they wanted to tell without staying too long, but also giving you enough of each character that you were just like, more, more, more. So, yeah. You know what? I'll have to say this. I, I haven't watched Succession. at all (laughs) but it's because like i have to be honest like selling me on the show of billionaires was a hard sell for me at the jump yeah and like but i can appreciate a show that ends strong like you telling me like hey there's only four seasons and they're great and like if you watch it you'll you'll be able to have a good uh you know uh binge I'm on board. Like, I'm on board to give it a try. So, like, based off of just your recommendation now, I could absolutely see myself getting into the show. I'm going to say, like, the thing about Succession that's uh, amazing is you shouldn't be rooting for these people. Like, but I've said this time and time again, we have, one of the things that we're doing with season seven is we've kind of, like, moved away from caring about the characters. And Succession understands that you have to care about what is going on in these people's lives. Even Hmm. though you know that you should not be rooting for these people, just by the way that they've set it up, and they've done a brilliant job of setting it up, they've set you up with all of these kids who have a terrible father. And because you can see how terrible the father is, you give and you make excuses for how terrible the children are. Hmm. And you, like, again, just because of what we've been conditioned to deal with when it comes to family dramas. You pick a child that's your favorite. You have someone that you're rooting for. You you understand just depending on your birth order and how you relate to everyone else, you have someone who you can connect to. And it is a very interesting family drama wrapped up in this story about billionaires, but it also never forgets that it's a story about billionaires. So it's beautiful to watch, but also, it has so much commentary on this is what we allow these people to do. Yeah. We're allowing it. And we would watch a show about it and just go about our lives. Because at a certain point in time, we also realize that there's not much more we can do. 
So yeah, I just, I, I think it's a fantastic show. I think it is one of the TV shows that people will think about of like modern television as yeah. some of the best. Wow. Okay. Siege. Uh, well, again, you've, you've definitely won me over with that. And I think that leads me to my next pick, which is Ooh. another TV show that I feel like really got me excited and really became water cooler talk. And that of course is the last of us. We have um, the same select. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. Um, yeah. I love the last of us from the jump. I thought the pilot was strong. And what I really loved about this show was how every episode gave me almost an entire story. Every episode almost had like this short film vibe to it where I was learning about characters from start to finish. Um, you know, obviously uh, Joel and Ellie and their like, you know, struggle to survive this post-apocalyptic world, which by the way, the best modern day zombies I've seen in terms of yes. making it fungi and how that affects people. I just thought it was so fun and original in terms of movie. I know this is based off a of video game that's been going on for a while, but in terms of how zombies have been portrayed in uh, media, yeah, I thought this was so original. I thought they were actually scary. And yeah. I just loved the human element. Every story was about the humans and about what's going on to these people who are experiencing this extreme situation. And to have just gone through COVID and to get a show like this, I just thought was really timely in terms of how art and um, you know life kind of reflect one another. So I, I definitely had to have this on my list and I'm really, really excited for new seasons of the show. Absolutely. Like I am so excited for the next season. Last of Us, as I said, it was my number three pick as well. And I found this show um, really great in the sense of, as you said, we get entire episodes where we're meeting brand new people and yet we feel connected to them and sometimes that's all all we get is this one episode but you were able to build a world create an environment create enough history and drama and conflict that i am invested in their lives and i want to know more even though i know i won't because all i needed to know was given to me in this contained hour episode yeah. and yet it felt it felt phenomenal and it felt part of a whole and the ability, like that is hard to make a TV show where you are introducing brand new people. Yeah. And, and like, as we can see with boy meets world, it is like there, you're not even talking about the main characters. You're learning about side quests. You're learning about past conflicts of people yeah. you've never met before and won't meet again. And yet everything that you learn and everything that's going on, is interesting, is good, and moves the story forward for your main characters. And I just think that that is a great feat in television writing. I'm so happy that we got a show like this because I think it's like considered the most successful video game adaptation. Um, and I know that would be uh, the original Mario Brothers movie with John Leguizamo. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to say that, and I'm going to ignore you because you're wrong. <laughs> but yeah, the ability to tell that kind of story and have um, have like a original piece that it came in video games, 
and translated that made not only the fans really happy, but made new fans come out of it and introduced me to this world where I am so engrossed. And I, as you said, I now think of zombies differently. I don't want a lazy zombie anymore. I want zombies like this. Zombies that are thought out. Zombies that have like their own world look a hive um, brain so scary so but also in a way that makes sense yeah and yeah i i I loved it i I also want to shout out um i think it's episode three that has nick offerman which is probably one of my favorite episodes of television i've ever seen so um yeah just great great individual episodes but as a series uh, as a whole phenomenal See, it's so interesting to me because i like that episode and i don't know if we were able to talk about it but i i liked that episode However, I don't see it as like the greatest piece of television ever. And this is very controversial take because so many people, I feel like it depends on your relationship with gay stories. And to me, as a gay man, I did not find this as like the best gay story I could have seen. If anything, it it fell back into a lot of heteronormative tropes, in my opinion. But I still appreciate it for what it was. I still appreciate that they were able to bring this story into millions of living rooms across the world and people connected with this love story. I think it's phenomenal for its achievement. I was going to just think it could have been different. That that I connected to it as a love story first, not as a gay love story. And that's what I think is part of the accomplishment of the episode is that so many people saw it without the lens of it being gay love story first. Yeah, but see, and this is like, we're, we're not going into this, but it is important to me. I think it's important to actually be like, but it is a gay love story. Mm-hmm. And a gay love story is different from a hetero love story because they're different people and two men, their relationship and their dynamic is different from a man and a woman. Very yeah, much sure. like, it to me, it feels a little, I don't see color. And it's like, if you don't see color, you don't see me. So sure. if you can't see the gayness in itself, then you are kind of homogenizing yeah, um, yeah. The experiences, stories, mm-hmm. and I, I just think it could have been different. But that is sure. no knock on it because I love the episode. I just, I'm not, I'm not going to back down from calling. Sure, that. no, no, that's a, that's a fair <laughs> critique. I think that's fair. Uh, okay, well, we have the exact same number three. So, do you want to give me your number two? Um, you know what? I know that there was a lot of big, um, important music stuff going on this year. And there's a lot of like larger things that happened in music that we can talk about. I instead wanted to do more of a deep cut and talk about something that wasn't as popular that just meant a lot to me, which is an artist named Joy Odakan. I I hope I'm saying that name correctly. She released an album in the spring called Proof of Life. She is a Nigerian-American country singer. Um, I guess you could say, I don't know. Her album Proof of Life, I guess, is more folksy. It's more like Americana. Um, But I just think that she was able to make such a beautiful record. Um, She just uh, really, in terms of like a singer-songwriter, made some things that felt really personal in a a year that felt really loud. I loved uh, some of the songs in her album, Changes, Taking Things for Granted, Somebody Like Me, um, are some of the songs I keep uh, were in my Spotify top. Um, And it's just a really personal album. I, I 
the thing I like about this album is that there are the way black people sing country music or folksy Americana music yeah. feels different to me. There is a soul attached to it. There's depth attached to it in ways that I sometimes don't always hear in a normal country or folk record. So, um, yeah, I just, I, again, I know there's probably bigger artists and bigger albums that came out this year, but I just wanted to throw some, some spotlight onto her for her very like quiet, but personal and beautiful album. That's so great. I love that. Um, and, uh, I will definitely check her out. I think it's really important to give people who are kind of, um, changing the idea of like what a specific genre or anything could be uh their flowers because you're right the presence of black people in country music is not always respected and to hear that someone made a fantastic and good listen that you can't deny is uh yeah i'm really really happy that it exists and yeah we sure. out here and in, in a world where like Taylor Swift is constantly getting praised as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I think that there are other songwriters who aren't getting that same attention, even though their songwriting abilities might surpass other people's songwriting abilities. Well, so we that, know how that works. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't need the Swifties coming after me, but I'm just saying in general, like there are uh some really interesting things happening in um, you know, music right now because of internet streaming where yeah. I can hear someone post a TikTok video and all of a sudden now I have a brand new artist I can follow who has no industry backing whatsoever. It really just changes the dynamic of things. So all right. My number two, uh speaking of feminine greatness, <laughs> is a movie that was I think it's like what this year will be remembered for. Uh this movie was huge. It was everywhere. It actually leads to one of the things that I think made this year different from any other year, which was that we got a lived-in experience to go along with the movie, and that is Barbie. I <laughs> loved Barbie. This is like, um, there's a very famous TikToker who, I, I can't think of her name right now, I think it's like Madeline something, but she coined the phrase in the year of the Barbie movie, yes. and that's how 2023 is seen through my eyes. I'm like, in the year of the Barbie movie, we're <laughs> doing this? <laughs> and yeah, in the year of the Barbie movie, Barbie came. She yeah. showed up, she showed out. It was a movie that I think we all knew could be a cash grab, could be, it didn't have to be good. It didn't have to actually have a message, but sure. we assumed it would, and we put our trust in Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, and boy, did it pay off. This movie was fun to be a part of. We went, as you said, we went to the premiere in Hollywood, and we had so much fun, and we got to see everyone dressing up, and everyone was excited, and we got to see, um, like, uh, instantly, the movie became quotable, yeah. and it instantly became something that you just wanted to watch again and again, and it was so much joy and so much fun, and it was self-aware while also having a point and a point of view, and um, I really enjoyed this movie. It made me smile. It makes me smile. I rewatched it several times. I believe it just came out on streaming, so a lot of other people can watch it. And I like. I also made me like appreciate and like want Barbie. Like I, I like. I don't know. Barbie has a connection with every single person in America, whether you owned a Barbie or not. You know who Barbie is. You understand that story. That toy is iconic. And to see a story about Barbie 
be on the big screen, but also feel genuine and make other people feel, feel in general, just made me so happy. I'm so disappointed that we never got the chance to do our official Barbie episode. We were so yeah. excited about it. And the strike happened literally like the week before Barbie came out. It feels like, yeah. like it got shut down. Um, but the, to your point about 2023 being the year of Barbie, I cannot remember the last time there was a movie going experience the way Barbie was. And yeah. I'll even throw it out there that Oppenheimer was lucky to share yes. a release date with Barbie. 100%. I know so many people who only saw Oppenheimer because of its tie with Barbie, and I don't think there was many people who did it the other way around. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like even when you look at the, the ending box office, Barbie outbeat Oppenheimer. So um, not to say anything disparaging about Oppenheimer, even though I have my own thoughts about it. Uh, I, I really just, the way that everyone dressed up for it, the way it was this cultural phenomenon, the way the memes started happening. I mean, it was just really something that I think united moviegoers for the first time, like I think since COVID that this was like the first big show up movie. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was another one. But like, to me, this was like the first time that like, hey, we're getting the whole group together. Every person in the sorority is dressing up and we're going to this. It's like, I don't know. There was something just different about it that made going to the movies exciting again. I completely agree. To me, based on what you just said, uh, this Barbie movie felt like uh, when Pokemon Go came out, where it was just Ooh. like, it just really brought joy to so many people you felt even if you weren't part of this community you understood that it was bringing people together and everyone yeah. was able to bond and everyone was excited and you got to you got to see people out in nature just like being um enthusiastic about something and sure. i feel like in the year of the ip in the decade of the ip for barbie to come in and actually um, tell a story that wasn't a superhero story, but also put women in the forefront, have a lot to say about women, have men be represented and feel seen as well, but also piss off the right type of men. It's like, a great litmus test. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so many people were like, I took my boyfriend to Barbie and his reaction determined our relationship. And I'm like, as it should. <laughs> Barbie is out here changing lives for the yeah. better. And that just... Like, can, I, and the, can, yeah. can I just throw out there that, like, you and I did not think Barbie was a perfect movie, but our critiques weren't the critiques that are coming from that alpha male Joe Correct. Rogan culture. Our critiques were like, there's too much Will Ferrell and other Correct. bullshit. Like, we want Correct. to focus more on the women. We we want less Ken and more Barbie. Like, uh, that, those were what we were saying. So it was just interesting to see how a majority of men were responding to this movie, specifically when I just feel like the journey of Ken is a journey of male, uh, you know... Um, um, uh, emancipation from, right. uh, uh, you know, a hyper uh, hetero norms and things like that. So I just feel like there was a lot that could have been learned from that movie that went over a lot of people's heads. Of course, like the idea, like, like again, the narrative is that um, patriarchy doesn't really work for anyone. Because yeah. even those who they say it helps feel burdened and was like, I, I'm actually not getting what I want. I'm sure. not able to be close to the women in my life because of this arbitrary 
rule system that didn't even exist before we made it exist. Sure. And in a world of make-believe, which is what we're in, it's like, why are we playing this game? Yeah. And I love that that's kind of the theme of the movie. Um, on top of, honestly, just being something that a lot of women could connect to and see themselves in. And the idea that there are parts of that movie that I completely miss by being a man, or I just sure. completely... It, like I thought I understood, but it went over my head and uh, women were like, no, I feel seen. I get that scene. I understand why that scene is in there. It made me happy and proud that I was like, oh, there's something that me, an avid movie watcher who feels like he can dissect just about anything can watch and be like, maybe this wasn't for me. And that's okay. Sure. It allowed me to learn. And that's, that's phenomenal for, again, a movie about a toy. hundred percent. A hundred percent. So yeah, I um I, I am really happy for it. Uh, the I'm Knuff t-shirts were amazing. As uh, soon as we saw that in the theater, we won one of those sweaters. Immediately. It's the moment we saw it. And I was like, this is brilliant. Exactly. And that's another thing. Like, I think it's funny because this movie is one of like I find it amazing that it has just about everything millennials have been taught to hate. We yep. hate cash grabs. We hate marketing plays. We mm -hmm. hate when you just create something specifically for it to be bought. And yet this did it in a way that we were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Sell me. Yeah. Here's my card. Uh, that, and then also I just remembered the practical effects. Like the way that yes. this was made. Also the sets. Realize what we've been missing. And I mm -hmm. now look at anything and I'm like, Barbie was able to do this. Why are you yeah. not good? You know, like you had more money, you had more time, fix it. And, and it felt like Barbie was like, can we use less CGI instead yeah. of can we use more? Which is yeah. something I really appreciated. Absolutely. So mine was Barbie movies. Okay, what's right. your number one pick? You know what? Not a surprise, Brett. Honestly, nothing has beat across the Spider-Verse for me. This movie is one I continue to go back to. Visually, it's stunning. I can have it on mute, just on in the background. as just like a, a moving piece of art. Every time I watch it, I kind of see new things about it that I didn't understand the first time. Obviously, we did a whole podcast about it, so you guys can go back and listen to that to hear our like full thoughts on it. Um, but just one of the things I want to say about this movie is is that uh, the soundtrack for this movie it was almost as good as the movie. I love a movie that has a soundtrack and go along with it because it does create that full experience for me. And the other thing is just, you know, we talk about this a little bit in our review, but to me, Across the Spider-Verse is about striving for community, the need for community and how important community is for us. And when I reflect back on 2023, that just seems to kind of be an ongoing motif I'm seeing amongst peers, amongst, you know, the uh, my TikTok videos, amongst, you know, uh, conversations that are happening at large about loneliness epidemics and things like that. It just feels like community is really needed. And I feel like this movie takes Miles's journey um, with his new spider people and is able to reflect the need for community that the general public, I feel like, is needing in this, you know, post-capitalism dystopia that we're living in. So it, it, because of that, because of how, like, much it, I think, reflects the, the life, this art reflects life, and how much it just... I. Uh, 
pure like work went into it all of the different animation styles all of the um jokes that still land the the careful planning that was put into it to make sure that it, it coexists as a trilogy um i just think it was just uh you know five stars across the board so i just i i tried to think of something else to add to this list and i really couldn't think of anything else but across the spider-verse no i think i mean it's worth noting this movie not only was like a really great sequel to a phenomenal movie they were able to tell a really compelling story to me i think uh, someone said i um it's the return of the jedi for this yeah. generation and mm-hmm. that it ends kind of like on a cliffhanger but it also does have um, a full circle story for who um in the movie is our main character i.e gwen and um but overall with miles morales it kind of like leaves us on a clip cliffhanger but it's a phenomenal movie it was able to give us so many beautiful different types of spider worlds yeah able to meet so many fantastic characters to your part the anti-capitalism of spider punk who just immediately became like like for someone like you and me it's like yes i want that guy i love that guy and i can connect to him and i feel seen and appreciated and aspirational um, I thought it was very good. It was very beautiful. It was very funny. It was very successful. I'm so excited for the third one. And I I really am looking forward to what it will continue to do. Because again, what I also find amazing about the Across the Spider-verse-ness of it all is the, seeing little kids from all different walks of life yeah. being able to see themselves in Spider-Man, in a Spider-Man movie, in a way that like we always projected ourselves onto the Spider-Man narrative, but this movie continued the tradition of like, no, you actually could be Spider-Man. 100%. And I think that's so amazing. Um, and I and I appreciate it for it. You know, the the one last thing I just want to say about this is that in a world where it seems like, I don't know about you, uh, you know, most superhero content has been uh, on my bad list recently within the last year or two like this is the first thing that i think i've seen that kind of um i don't know elevates the genre in a while like i haven't like most things have kind of taken away from my like overall enjoyment of superhero movies but this was the first thing that got me excited again probably since like I don't know, uh, Endgame. So, yeah. like, you know, I, I think as a fan of superheroes and uh, of things like that, like most of the community has been pretty disappointed with Marvel and DC, but this has been an exception that I feel like deserves um, all of its credit. Yeah, I mean, it literally broke the mold when it was uh, creating this universe in general, yeah. and it continued to disrupt the industry and make studios and storytellers have to put in more effort. And I think that's what it is. I think things got formulaic, things got lazy, but this movie kept us on our feet and it kept challenging, pushing itself visually with the storytelling, with like the world building. And I think that all of that really shows and it really made everything around it have to step up. Absolutely. Okay. Um, My number one, I mentioned it already, but this... I, I'm going to talk about the entire experience that if I loved Barbie for all the things that it did, then my number one did all of that and more. And specifically for me, a black queer man, 
Beyonce's Renaissance is my number one because the the album itself, even though it came out uh, last year, it was really big this year. And she managed to keep the hype and the hits coming of the tour I got to attend. And actually the parts of the tour that I like that I was in are in the movie and being <laughs> able to be present and be like, oh, this is what was going on at my show. Yep. And I can see it on screen is even more phenomenal. And then when it actually hit the big screen, like some of my favorite moments from this year will be the showings that I went to that were communal, that were fun, that were joyous, very similar to Barbie. People got dressed up. People were thinking about what they were going to wear. People were uh, excited to know the songs and what to do, like the everybody on mute challenge. It was like, again, it brought people together. It brought community. It made people, it was all about joy in a time where things are really, really hard. And, yep. you know, to be able to give that in some ways, like on different price levels, even like the idea of the tour was really expensive and it was hard to get into. However, the movie experience is accessible and anyone can pay $30 sure. and go watch it. And everyone can share in Beyonce's um, joy and mission of change. And we are on the precipice of something different and we need to think about everything that we're doing differently. And also to me, it's an homage to great music. It's an homage to thoughtful music, to thoughtful albums. I am still amazed that Beyonce was able to make an album that is so seamless that if you didn't know specifically, if she didn't tell you where a track ends and where it begins, you'd have no idea. You'd think it was like one long piece or maybe two because yeah. the, especially the first half of that album is just just so beautifully blended and then in the movie for her to share parts of herself parts of her life parts of her journey her being like hey i'm 40 i'm in my 40s now and i think about the world differently i think about time differently and i'm really considering who i am and how i relate to the world and what i bring and what i won't tolerate you're sure. just like yes you feel seen. I think that we're all in that space, specifically someone like me who's in their mid-30s. I just felt very much like I could see myself in Beyonce. And that is a very great task that she was able to do. So the Renaissance film, the Renaissance album, the Renaissance tour, Renaissance is my number one for all the reasons above. Thank you for letting me rant. <laughs> no, and honestly, I don't think there's anything I can say that you haven't said uh, or articulated in a better way. But what I will say is that, you know, we were talking about 2023 being the year of Barbie. 2023 is the year of Beyonce. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, to me, like when I think about this year, like the way that she's not only been able to keep her album relevant, but just keep music exciting. Like she is, like I said, I think I said this um, when you brought up this uh, movie and homework a few weeks ago, the idea that like, not since Michael Jackson has I felt, have I felt there's been a musician who takes live performing as seriously, who sees it as a craft that is, needs to be perfected and who has the artistic eye to know you know, what things will matter in terms of putting on a good show. Um, and so I just think that in a world in which Ticketmaster is charging like $500 to see artists put on half thought out concerts, 
to have an artist like her kind of keep the bar high is something that is so needed now because it doesn't feel like a majority of artists are putting the same thoughts into their live shows as she is. And so I love that, um, you know, she's getting the attention. I love that a concert going experience of that caliber is getting the live, is getting the attention that it's getting. And of course, like Beyonce incredibly just keeps killing it with every project. I'm so excited to see what's next. And she just, you know, as a fan, like she just keeps me on my toes. So I, you know, never the same thing twice with her. Absolutely. And then to your point, I didn't think about it, but like the idea that you paid so much for these tickets, but the idea that by doing that, you actually were entering a lottery to be in the Renaissance movie that will sure. live forever. Like that, like you didn't know that, but like yeah. you were buying a ticket to enter a lottery, to be part of movie making history. And that to me is like, oh, that's totally worth it. It's yeah. totally, it, it makes it makes the experience worth it. It makes the money worth it. It does, in a sense, show Beyonce saying, if you're going to pay this much, I want you to get something out of it as well. And yeah. it is, it's so thoughtful on a level that I just didn't consider. So yeah, I'm really, <laughs> really happy that it exists. Um, are you ready to move on to our honorable mentions? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready to move on. You can just uh, kind of list them out, list what you have left, okay. and, and right. we'll do that. All right, so honorable mentions, uh, the, these are some projects that I really enjoyed, but just didn't make the top five for me, but I just wanted to throw them out anyway. Um, Michael J. Fox produced an incredible documentary this year called Still. It's on Apple TV. I loved it. Um, the Eternal Optimist, which is MJ Fox, he is so... Um, you know, articulate in his struggles and the way he's able to overcome them on a daily basis. And the movie does a great job of using archival footage to show um, his journey with Parkinson's. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, we didn't get to talk about this movie either because it came out during the strike, but the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, so much fun. So much fun. The characters are so, like... This is the first time they're written as teenagers in a way that I think works... Uh, match with the source material it just made me love teenage mutant Ninja turtles again they did a great job we talked about the blackening during our summer movie series had to throw it out there again because especially during halloween i did a rewatch and it's just a fun it's just a fun movie it's 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 one of those movies i cannot wait to watch with my cousins um and then my last honorable mention was season six of black mirror i there were some episodes in there that really stick with me jonah's awful coming out before a strike in which actors had to argue for the AI properties of themselves was so surreal to me. And that show constantly being a black mirror to our society. Um, I just think it, it did a fantastic job. So those are, those are my honorable mentions that I'm going to throw out. Uh, I love it. Okay. Uh, a few things just on yours. One, uh, for those of you who do know, my husband has early on stage Parkinson's and still was very good. It was a very good conversation piece for me and my husband to talk about. I think it really does a really great job of examining um, what it's like to have Parkinson's, but also uh, what it was like for Michael J. Fox to yeah. be Michael J. Fox with Parkinson's. Um, and I will forever be eternally grateful for that movie. And I do recommend it. I highly recommend it. Uh, and then we had someone else recommend Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I still have not seen it. That's something that I will work on over the holidays. But uh, I know I was really excited about it. And because yep. of the strike, we kind of like had to cancel our plans of reviewing it. Um, and I never got around to it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And then, of course, everything 
that I felt about the blackening stands. It was something that I was really happy that we were able to cover when we did. Awesome. Um, my honorable mentions, uh, A Hunting in Venice, um, which was a continuation of adapting Agatha Christie's stories. Uh, I think that this is like the best one of the three. It's really good. It was so much fun. I actually felt tense while watching it. And I thought it was just a great um, iteration of the genre. It was my favorite. And I felt like they finally figured out the formula. If you haven't seen it yet, A Haunting in Venice was really fun um, and really good and, and, and really spooky, like a fun murder mystery. And you guys know how I feel about a murder mystery. Uh, following up, that meant that uh, we are talking about Scream 6. I have... <laughs> such mixed feelings about the screen property at this point in time you guys know how i feel about scream i'm not gonna get into it but i will say that uh scream six in new york was it really in new york not really but sure. <laughs> was a fun venture into what scream could be in new york mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed it for those reasons um and then Saltburn, i have spoken about previously as oh, yeah. a homework i think other people should watch it i feel it's very controversial did you ever get a chance no not yet okay it's great check out salt burn it's really really fun um and then another movie that was kind of like a last minute for me i literally watched it earlier uh in this week i found it fun and i want more people to watch it because i want to see the conversation that people would have um leave the world behind i felt like <clears> it was so great at building tension and building a world where I didn't know what was going on, but I also was deeply invested in these characters. It's on Netflix. It's based on a book. Uh, apparently the book and the movie are like companion pieces, but very different. Okay. But uh, a lot of people say that the tone of the movie is just right. And I am, I'm really excited for people to check it out and see what they think. Again, I feel like movies are bad. Yeah. I don't know, like, okay. do you feel like movies are back based on? You know what? I have to say this. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but there are a list of projects or things that have come out where people have been recommending them to me, and I just haven't gotten a chance to watch them. I feel like movies within this last month, there's been a bunch of exciting ones coming out that I'm really looking forward to seeing, but there was a lull for me for a while there. Well, um, and <laughs> well, even, I mean, these movies were scheduled before the strike, and I don't know if other movies got moved because of the strike, but there was like a lull where I was going to the movies pretty consistently and leaving disappointed. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that there were some standouts and I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, hopefully a resurgence in good cinema coming within the next year. Absolutely. Do you have any dishonorable mentions? I'm so glad you asked. Absolutely. <laughs> um, my dishonorable mentions, I'm just going to throw them out real fast. Actually, Haunting in Venice is on my... What? Dishonorable mention. What? Kenneth Branagh, <laughs> Agatha Christie. I've given you guys too much of my money. I don't want it. I don't want to do it anymore. See, I enjoyed this one, and I, I feel like we're going to have to come back. We saw the this. Nile one, and it was terrible. And the I Nile like one was terrible one was to that, me. I didn't feel like this one was that much better. And maybe it was because I was wanting more of a horror movie than a ah, whodunit, and I ah. kind of went in with that expectations because that's what the trailers and all the reviews led me to believe marketing. Um but yeah, I was I was disappointed in it. So it's that's it's so funny. We're gonna have to talk about that because for me, and I love that you let me go in my whole yeah, uh, yeah. Chair. And and by the way, I don't take anything of it back. But I think that I am such a whodunit person. Yeah, and I I, I knew what we were getting just immediately. So I guess I I was willing to give it some room. But you guys, 
you got to be the um, the breaking vote. I need you guys to watch Hunting in Venice and say, are you Team Siege or Team Tony? Yeah, let, let us know. <laughs> um, other things I might just honorable mention, I'm just going to throw out there real fast. Um, the Flash entirely, the whole movie. <laughs> it, it, as this summary of DC films, like I can't like if, what Spider-Man did in terms of like, exciting me about superhero movies the flash did the opposite of and they came out a week apart from each other so i just have to throw that on there i i'm not a fan um controversial opinion i did not like dungeons and dragons the movie that came out a lot of people loved it a lot of people had fun with it and it just wasn't for me i didn't enjoy it and so it's all my dishonorable mention and lastly um charlie day wrote and directed a movie called fool's paradise that i saw and i went out to the movies because i was like oh nothing else is coming out this week i'll go and watch it and it was such a disappointment i love him in always sunny i loved him in the horrible bosses and a few other things he did but this movie was just so bad and so like i really struggled through it so those are my dishonorable mentions for 2023 did you have any uh, it's so funny you say that. I have very controversial ones myself. Um, I will say really quickly, Dungeons and Dragons, I can see why you didn't, but I left Dungeons and Dragons being like, I understood where they were going and I would be willing to see a second one. Like that's how I, I literally watched it being like, were you good? No, I can't say you were a good movie, but yeah. I can say you made me have an enjoyable enough time where I'm willing to give you a second movie to really find your footing. That's how I felt about that movie. And sure. I thought it knew what it wanted to be and it didn't quite hit it, but it was really close. Mm. Um, and then for The Flash, I literally forgot that movie came out this year because 100%. that movie, I will, I said it before and I'll say it again. Lindsay Lohan did the twin thing in 1997 and the effects were way better. I don't know how we're in 2023 and everything just looks. I actually think The Flash is going to be the one of those movies that in like five years, we're going to have a party drinking game where we watch that movie and laugh at how bad it is. Like, I that's could, what I'm looking forward to is, is uh, the turnaround. You have to get people to agree to watch it first. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. Uh, and then for me, I didn't like Super Mario Brothers. I thought the that's movie... Fair was I thought it was the epitome of a cash grab. I felt 100%. like everything Barbie wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it just felt, it felt lazy to me. And I even feel like the love that everyone has for the Peaches song. Um, I feel it's, like it's just like, it's it's low hanging fruit. I expect more. Yeah. I felt like you could have done more. Um, so I didn't love it. And then I'm I'm ready for this. Didn't love Oppenheimer. I said it before and I'll say it again. I felt like Oppenheimer is just one of those movies where I'm like, come on, dude. Nope. Like, I maybe I'll need to give it a rewatch. Again, good luck getting me to rewatch that three-hour movie. But I just feel like it's one of those movies where people, a specific group of people feel like they are getting a phenomenal high-end movie. And I feel like anyone who is not that group looks at that movie and was like, this is what you wanted me to spend three hours doing. <laughs> um, to just briefly talk on this, uh, Super Mario Bros, I agree with you. It was not as enjoyable as experience as other people tend to have. Like when I heard about other people's reactions, I was like, oh, really? It's that good? And it wasn't to me. Um, also, we don't need to hire Chris Pratt to do any more voiceover Stop. work. Let it go. Just let, let, it, let it go. Um, <laughs> he is not a voiceover actor. Please get a comedian to do voiceover work. That's all I'm asking. It's simple shit. Um, and also, 
I did also like did not like Oppenheimer. I I know that people loved it. I was bored. I was bored of white men in general. You said it. I won't say it, but like no, I I'll felt... say it. It, it. To me, it just felt like Christopher Nolan had entered his Wes Anderson phase, and what I mean by that is that like sometimes directors, Tim Burton's like this too, where they have a style and they have like a way of making movies that they just keep pushing. Like they keep they keep going further and further into it to the point where like Tim Burton is just doing like Tim Burton movies anymore. Like I, I don't know. Like they uh, they're so extreme in their own stylization that they're getting lost in the sauce. And I feel like Wes Anderson's like that, where it's just like you're just too Wes Anderson for me to enjoy the movie, the story that you're trying to tell. And I feel like in that way, Christopher Nolan is just obsessed with just white men in suits and talking. And I don't know. This was just a, a movie that was built as being this very exciting, almost action-y kind of movie. And it wasn't that. It was a lot of people who thought they were really important, having conversations of self-importance in a way that was neglecting, struggling people of color in a way that was really hard for me to ignore. So that's my review of Oppenheimer. I don't I, need to see it again. I agree with you. I feel like, if anything, I feel like... And maybe it's maybe it's where you and I are at with our movie um, consumption. But I will say this year felt like the movie where a lot of big names came out. Um, as you said, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon. These are all movies that are like critically acclaimed. And I'm like, but why? White man does white man thing? Okay. Like, like yeah. I just watched it being like, but you know, you and I both know that there are people of color and there are women who were in this story who were way more interesting. Why were we focused on the white man in this story? Yeah. And on top of focusing on the white man in this story, you didn't even really give me anything new or interesting to say about a white man in this story. And that's because the most interesting parts are the people of color and the women who are in this story. And that to me is the greatest sin. We keep rewarding stories about, did you know a white man persevered? And we're like, oh, did he? <laughs> did he? <laughs> <laughs> through what? Yeah, through um, what? So yeah. Yeah, it just felt like Christopher Nolan thought Oppenheimer was way more interesting of a person, of an individual, even more so than the event that he contributes to. Him as a person was more interesting for Christopher Nolan. And that's why he chose to tell that story. But I did not find the character of Oppenheimer nearly as interesting. I was not interested in hearing any of the bullshit that happened in the last half of the movie. And honestly, like, I mean, to your point of uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, like, I don't want to see historical events through the eyes of white men anymore. I'm not interested. And so, like, if you want to give me something new, I would love to see a really, you know, epic Native American drama based on Native Americans and Native American right. history. Right. We don't have to have everything through the myopic view of a white male face that we all have a previous relationship with. I, I don't know. So I, maybe we're getting too deep into this, but that was my feeling of Oppenheimer. No, well. I'm going to stand on business and say that, like, I, I am, in fact, tired of it, specifically when the sort, like, again, to me, sometimes it feels like, white people are saying hey did you know that this was a problem or hey have you considered the damage that we've done like Oppenheimer is very much like the guilt of this man who's entered uh who allowed this great evil to enter the world and it's like but at what cost yes we we did it to 
uh, squash great evil, but we've only led ourselves and we've opened up Pandora's box. And for those of you who think that I don't get it, that I don't get like the symbolism and what it's supposed to mean and the time that it came out and the time, like all, no, I get all of it. I just don't care. I'm just bored. And 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 also like for someone who commit, like who contributed to such a horrific act to see that the most inconvenient part of his life was having comfortable conversations with other men in a room about what he did. I was just like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't the story I need to see. This isn't doing anything for me. Indigenous land is still ruined, right? Yeah. (laughs) There are people who are still living from the ramifications of his actions, but tell me more about how he lost his right and claim to be part of a science council. Like, like yeah. that's, that's kind of the thing. It's just like, it doesn't feel, the stakes don't feel like they were anything for me. And the idea of him waking up and having to struggle with the great evil that he brought into the world. Again, I'm just like, yeah, and you did. And what do you want us to do about it? The, the sucky so thing that- <laughs> the sucky thing too is that it was kind of built as like Christopher Nolan telling the story of the atomic bomb in a way that I was just like, oh, we're gonna get this big epic like World War II like movie, but like filmed from like this Batman begins like filmmaker's lens, and it just wasn't that at all. It wasn't yeah. that at all. There was yeah. one interesting scene that lasted three minutes in the middle of the movie, and that was yeah. it. Also, way too many cameos from random actors for no reason. I I was... don't mind. I mean, again, like, I think it's funny because everything we're talking about, like, it's pairing piece Barbie. It's like, no, that was random, and it had all these cameos, but it works, and it was fun. And I think that that's because it was actually trying to tell a new story, or again, try to tell a story that every woman can relate to but maybe men are learning about for the first time like and again it feels to me like certain stories right now are late to the party like they feel like hey we're ready to have this conversation about the evils that we allow white men to do and they have to deal with it and it's just like that feels a little bit like white man's burden and yeah. I'm not interested. <laughs> sure. If this was a, a movie from a person of color telling the story, that's far more interesting. But just, uh, again, a white man telling a white man's story about the guilt that a white man felt, for uh, it's 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 not my thing. Um, also, I just have to say this. I, I feel like part of the reason why Bar- Barbenheimer worked is because if you saw Oppenheimer before Barbie, You've never been more ready to be like, fuck men than (laughs) after you see Oppenheimer. And even as an audience member, like I saw them separately. I didn't see them back to back. I kind of wish I had Barbie as like a a chaser for that (laughs) damn movie. It was just too much. I needed to do both. I'm glad that I did both. I did like the experience thing. Like they had like a countdown clock and uh, Barbie had all this hype. So the fact that people were able to blend these two worlds together and it did kind of represent the film bro and the um, optimistic woman of it all, but the bright pink and um, the dark black, like it just, it felt like opposing worlds coming together. And I think that the ability to come together and it kind of like made us all remember that this is what cinema is about. You can have something that's bubblegum and important next to something that's prestigious and critically acclaimed. Like you don't have to choose. Movies can do both. Movies can reach both audiences. And even though I don't like Oppenheimer, I'm glad it exists. 
I'm glad sure. that Arbenheimer exists. I don't want a marketed version of this yeah. to ever like come out, but I did like that it was naturally created and people were able to have their own communities and come together um, and just kind of get back into movies. And so, yeah, that's sure. it. That's what I'll say. Uh, okay. Um, right before we wrap up, thank you guys for sticking with us through our, our little conversation. I do want to have some of the classic recommendations. These are movies and television shows that you guys have recommended to us on our socials. Thank you so much for reaching out. As always, you can reach out to us at Bra Meets World on all of the platforms. Um, continue to reach out to us on Patreon, uh, on YouTube, all the places. Uh, and some of the recommendations that we got from you guys are uh, an endorsement of shrinking from someone said they also were uh, here for shrinking silo, which is on Apple TV as well. <laughs> I've heard a lot of really good things about silo and for all mankind. Yeah. I think I've had like four people tell me about for all mankind wow. and I'm really looking forward to getting to that. Sure. Um, you're not invited to my bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah. That is starring Adam Sandler's daughters. And I remembered that that oh, was- Oh, the Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah I heard that was that cute. That was really cute. I heard really good things. Um, Harlem, the TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard really good. And to pair it with that, rap shit. I've talked about it before. I'll talk about it again. Rap shit is not for everyone. So I can't say that it is. But I do think that it's a very fun look at both the rap industry and- florida so <laughs> i think that's worth trying um someone said let's start here uh little yachty's album that came out this year um go check that out that's a listen and um overall thank you guys so much for sharing. can i you know what can i just say um i just want to add a few things to that in terms of like things that people have said to me and recommended to me that i cannot wait to check out uh probably during this holiday break that we're having um I could not emotionally bring myself to watch Past Lives when it first came out, but I want to watch it. It's on yeah. my list. I've heard so Same. many great things. Um, you've already talked about The Bear. I've heard great things about both The Holdovers and Poor Things, the movies that have uh, were released in December. So I'm really excited to see those. And I'm also really interested to see both Godzilla Minus One, the movie, and the Monarch Legacy of Monsters television show on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, for those who don't know, Godzilla is having like this weird thing where there's literally two separate movies and a separate TV show all happening with Godzilla properties, but they're all like apparently some of the best content that's come out about Godzilla. And I've never been a huge Godzilla fan, but I've heard that Godzilla Minus One is one of the best movies that came out this year regardless. So I'm, I'm excited to try it. To check I it love out. that you said that because you're right. That's another one where it's like all of a sudden everyone was like, go see Godzilla Minus <laughs> One. So I'm going to check it out and, yeah. and I'll see and I'll let you guys know. Um, Thank you guys so much for spending this time with us. We hope that you enjoyed listening to us this holiday season. We look forward to seeing you again in the new year. We will come back with season seven, episode four. Um, and that is no such thing as a sure thing. Um, until then, happy new year, happy holidays. And from all of us at Bra Meets World, we want you to dream, try, and do some holly jolly good. Holly jolly good. Later, bruh. Later, bruh. This episode of Brummy's World was produced by Siege and edited by Tony Curtis. Brummy's World is a two free tokens media production. Bye. Bye. When the spawn meets world.